Connecticut Democrats, or Connecticrats, as they have never been called. Welcome back, folks. We are in the final few weeks before Election Day. I can tell I'm excited. I know Dave's excited. I hope you are all excited and energized as well. We have Representative Rosa DeLauro of Connecticut's 3rd Congressional District. She's an outstanding person to talk to. I had a great interview with her. I spoke with Senator Christine Cohen of the 12th District of Connecticut's Legislature. So we're in the final two weeks here. This is this is absolutely the home stretch. I have a question for you. As a, as a college Democrat, you probably already had a lousy diet. Is it getting worse? <laughs> it it is getting worse. Um, it it's getting worse. The sleep schedule is getting worse. Um, luckily, we've made it through the midterm season, so um, less academic pressure. But still, I would say for a lot of us, school's the priority. I have some friends that <laughs> school's no longer the priority, which is uh, good for us and good for them. So. I think, uh, you know, after these two weeks, I'm going to be uh, probably going on a cleanse diet or something like that. You know what, people listening, you can do that too. You can go on the cleanse diet after November 3rd, but until November 3rd, we need all hands on deck. Reach out to your local candidates. That's who needs the help the most. But if you want to volunteer through the party, we will get you in contact with them. ctdems.org slash volunteer. One of the people you can volunteer to help is Rosa DeLauro, and she's up next on Connecticut's. Congresswoman Rose DeLora, welcome to the podcast. Delighted to be with you. Thank you so much. And how have you been lately? I'm well, very, very well. These are these are really, uh, you know, crazy days is the best way. I don't know about you or your, <laughs> you know, the folks who are watching. The days have no beginning. The days don't have an end. And the weekdays rolling to the weekends. And, mm-hmm. you know, just, uh, 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 you know, just trying to be safe, trying to keep others safe. Uh, so I, and I, I think it, I think it's hard for people. I think it really is hard. I think so too, and I think you know we appreciate all the work that you're doing uh, day and night for for the folks of Connecticut. I want to start by talking about the process of getting a, another COVID nineteen uh, oh. stimulus package. I know uh, the speaker and her team have been negotiating uh, tirelessly uh, over the past few weeks. What has your role been in those negotiations, and what is your view of what should come next in terms of relief for the American people? Well, I thank you for the question because it's one one of the uh, reasons why I was delayed is that the uh, a speaker uh, uh, called together um, my phone the, uh, the leadership team uh, to talk about what is it is going on. And let me uh, get to that in, uh, in in a moment. But let me first pre- preface because you, you asked what what my role is, and uh, uh, I chair uh, the Labor Health Human Services an education subcommittee of appropriations. Um, and uh, after uh, defense, it is the largest portfolio of programs and the, the, uh, the largest you know, uh, volume of resources. Uh, trillions of dollars go through the uh, labor HHS subcommittee. And in terms of the prior relief packages, the packages that have been passed, and I might add in a bipartisan way, um, uh, it, it, we had $280 billion uh, for um, education, for health, and for uh, jobs and uh, uh, work-related efforts. But and what is this? In terms of health, it is about testing, contact tracing, uh, 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 treatments, Therapeutics, 
the development of vaccines. Uh, we have uh, oversight of the Center for Disease Control and for uh, the National Institutes of Health and uh, something called BARDA, which is the agency which deals with the manufacturing contracts for the development of the therapeutics and the vaccines. So uh, I played a central role uh, in, uh, in the development of the, um, of the proposals uh, moving forward. And in terms of education, the stabilization of K through 12 um, and higher ed. We also dealt with making sure that our hospitals had what they needed to move forward. And then on the jobs side of that is what we are trying to do to work with people during this time and that they uh, are without a job. For the first time, paid sick days is in there, uh, a paid family leave, and again, for the first time, the child tax credit to help to lift people out of poverty. So the committee that I chair is central to what the, um, uh, the relief packages have been. Let me just move quickly to where we are now. And Sorry. what the speaker uh, uh, told us just a little bit ago was that they are still in conversation and negotiation, not just conversation, it, with negotiation with Secretary Mnuchin. And she said, and I will quote her, uh, that she believes that the Secretary, and certainly she does, want to come to an agreement. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, however, there are still some issues, and they're going back and forth. So I, I hold out hope for a package because people are in desperate shape. And, and a second on that, Michael, because I think it's critically important. We're looking at, you know, 40 million people who are without jobs. Mm. Uh, so how are we dealing with their unemployment uh, insurance? Right, We're right. looking at state and local government, which are going to have to uh, lay off policemen, firemen, teachers, uh, uh, we're, we're looking at, I, I was earlier this morning uh, 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 in Ansonia, uh, where we were giving out uh, food boxes, uh, and I voted for these food boxes in, in the farm mm -hmm. bill, uh, to, to people coming through on a line, they're seniors, and there were over 100, 150 cars wow. that were there to, to be able to pick up the food. So that there's the reality out there of the pain on, uh, on the economics. You've got a health crisis, you've got an economic crisis, and my view is that if we don't address, if, if, if we cannot crush this virus, it's going to be very difficult to get our economy moving again, which we want to do. So the package that is being discussed, it is very short on, at the moment, on state and local government mm -hmm. uh, resources. Uh, secondly, uh, she let us know that there is not a robust package for the testing, for the contact tracing, mm -hmm. and for the treatment. And what's being left out as well in that area uh, are dealing with the uh, kind of racial inequities that we have seen of right. uh, that where there are the hot spots. And that's not there at the moment. And then she, uh, the, the, the last piece is, is about putting, getting, money back in people's pockets. Uh, there is uh, a still no uh, agreement on uh, the unemployment benefits, um, and uh, they have eliminated uh, uh, the funding for the earned income tax credit. They've eliminated 
of funding for the child tax credit mm-hmm. uh, and for the child development block um, uh, uh, child development block grant tax credit. So, right, right. Uh, so those pieces have been eliminated, um, and in, uh, including uh, also a funding for the enforcement of of uh, uh, worker protections. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, uh, it, no money for child care. You know, right, as is, I do, if, if we do not have a thriving child care industry, parents are, are not going to go to work if there's no place for their kid. But I leave you with this. The conversations are going on. We're looking for a more robust package that would be retroactive so that people would not lose money. But above all, the conversations are still going on. There is, at least between the secretary and um, uh, the speaker, the desire to come to a deal to provide relief to families. It was unfortunate that the president decided to walk away uh, from the uh, uh, from the negotiations several days ago. He's come back. It's not clear where he is, but I can vouch for Secretary Mnuchin and I can vouch um, for this for the speaker. Mm-hmm. And, and talk a bit about the on the ground impacts of delaying and not having this, you know, not having the administration work on this. You represent uh, New Haven, which has a gigantic school district and one of the world's premier hospital systems. Um, how has the sort of lack of action by this administration impacted not just Yale and, and not just New Haven public schools, but all the, all the hospitals and all the school districts throughout your district? Well, early on, I mean, had many, many conversations uh, with, with our hospitals and I was, not too many weeks ago, out at Griffin Hospital, uh, and I spoke, you know, spoken, uh, you, you know, to uh, the uh, 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 all of our hospitals really are suffering. Uh, they did get some relief, and as I said, those packages were bipartisan, which was a good thing, uh, you, you know, to get done. Uh, but subsequent to that, they are now, uh, you, you know, they are building up a debt every single month. Right. Right. And that means that they're not going to be able to provide the services uh, that they need to provide. And that's why when we're looking at what we need to do in a new package, that uh, uh, in a stimulus package, what we need to do is to be providing additional funding for our hospitals. You mentioned education. And my gosh, don't we want to get all our kids back to school? Honestly, I'm worried about what's happening with kids uh, and and losing this time. You know, however, at the moment, um, uh, uh, and what there is an educational stabilization fund. It's two hundred and twenty-five billion dollars, mm-hmm. and the administration is not there yet. What is that for? That is to make our schools safe for kids to go back. That's the uh, protective equipment that we need. It's the ventilating systems that we need. It's for sanitizing um, the, uh, it's for making it safe for both students and for teachers. So on the ground, as you say, there is serious, serious difficulties that we have to uh, be addressing. And that's what this new package uh, is, uh, is, is, is about. Uh, and mm-hmm. we are hurting K through 12 schools as well as higher education. I hear from colleges all of the time, and I hear from our school, uh, 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 both teachers and administrators, 
about what's uh, what what what's going on there. Serious pain on the ground, Michael. We we should come to a conclusion, but the conclusion should be it, 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 it's not even so much the amount of money, but mm -hmm. where the money is going and how it's going to be spent. Now go over to Dave Costick for his conversation with State Senator Christine Cohen. Senator Christine Cohen represents the 12th district in Connecticut Senate, and she joins us here on the podcast today. Thanks for uh, thanks for sitting down with us. Thanks so much for having me, David. So the legislature wrapped up two uh, special sessions since the pandemic hit, but uh, looking back at the whole term from you know January 2019 to now, um, what are some of the things that that happened in the last couple of years that uh, that you're particularly proud of? Yeah, thanks for, it's a great question. You know, we, uh, despite an abbreviated 2020 session, we actually have accomplished a lot uh, in, in just my short tenure uh, in the legislature, we had a great 2019 session, uh, passed uh, paid uh, family and medical leave, which is huge for the state of Connecticut, huge for, uh, you know, as an attraction point uh, for folks, you know, uh, we were one of the few states that didn't have that families are making decision on where to live uh, based on, on things like this, uh, benefits uh, to living in particular areas. It really makes us much more attractive, uh, helps uh, small businesses also to be able to offer benefits like this to their employees. Um, so that was a huge win in the 2019 session. Certainly from an environmental standpoint, we uh, banned plastic bags. That ban goes into effect in 2021. That was a really huge win out of uh, a committee that I am the Senate chair of. Um, so I'm extremely proud of that piece of legislation. And then as we moved into uh, the, the special sessions here, you know, expanding uh, telehealth, we, we really uh, needed to do something about that. Um, wanted to expand telehealth even prior to the pandemic, but certainly the pandemic highlighted the need to do that. Um, and, and certainly can't go without saying uh, that insulin uh, price cap was huge. Um, so I think uh, certainly we had a, a robust and successful 2019 session, um, but these really short special sessions can't be discounted. You're, uh, I don't know about completely unique, but somewhat unique in the state Senate in that you uh, are a small business owner yourself. Um, how does that sort of inform the way you look at pieces of legislation and, and your priorities? Yeah, well, thanks. I, you know, I am a small business owner of 17 years. I own a bagel business in Madison with my husband, Rob. Uh, prior to that, I worked at Fortune 500 companies, most recently uh, Connecticut's own Stanley Black & Decker, where I learned a tremendous amount of the, about the entire supply chain. I worked in operations and manufacturing. I worked on uh, the marketing side, consumer end of, of things. And so um, I really know know what it's like to operate a business in the state. I know how important the regulatory is, uh, the regulatory environment is uh, to all the small business owners out there because I'm one of them. And so uh, know how important it is to have, you know, a trained viable workforce and an environment um, in which to operate that, that really apply, you know, um, uh, presents fertile ground, really, um, for which businesses can can grow and thrive. And so um, it absolutely informs decision making for me. Um, I think I'm also the 
uh, Senate Vice Chair of the Commerce Committee, uh, plays a huge role in um, some of the bills that uh, I like to fight for and, um, and see come to fruition. You know, I also in the 2019 session, we had a, a great bill on workforce development, um, you know, that, that helps uh, folks, um, you know, in the manufacturing sector in particular, which is so important to Connecticut. Really, we have a really rich industrial history uh, here in Connecticut. So we created this uh, $50 million initiative to support workforce training and pre-apprenticeships uh, that we hope will lead to you know, as many as 10,000 good paying jobs across the state of Connecticut. Uh, we've also been encouraging local school districts, um, you know, to push manufacturing as a career and, and certainly, um, you know, we're talking um, a lot uh, with the State Department of Education about core competencies and, and even most recently during this um, this pandemic, I know uh, the governor uh, launched a program, Skill Up, you know, to to enable folks to to get some of those core competencies and uh, licensure uh, that they might need to, you know, perhaps explore a different career or uh, new opportunities. So, um, all of these things are great. Um, I, I'd also say, um, from a business perspective, I co-chair the Bioscience Caucus of the legislature, um, and and bio uh, the life sciences. And industry is one of those sectors that is rapidly growing in the state, particularly right here in the 12th district. Um, so I, I'm excited to see what they have to offer right now, um, especially in light of the pandemic. There's a lot of innovation coming out of our bio industry. Um, you know, anywhere, anything from diagnostic tools. I just visited a company, uh, Tangent, with, with Senator Murphy. Uh, we saw a lot coming out uh, of that company in terms of uh, diagnostic capabilities for COVID um, and, and we're seeing rapid tests um, come out. Um, so, so a lot of innovation, you know, across the, across the board, but um, certainly um, with respect to the coronavirus itself. Here on the CT Dems podcast, you just learned that there is a bioscience caucus of the Connecticut state <laughs> legislature. That's right. That's right. <laughs> uh, your, your district uh, includes a lot of coastline. Um, so I imagine environmental concerns are key. And um, looking forward, uh, what are some things you hope to, uh, to strengthen or new initiatives to take on environmental concerns? Yeah, thanks for asking that question. Um, it's of particular importance to uh, my district, but I think the state on the whole, um, we have um, you know long stretches of coastline. We have beautiful state parks, open space, trails, uh, you name it. We have it all here in Connecticut. The environment is uh, certainly a priority. Uh, we need to keep those natural resources intact for uh, for ourselves uh, to attract people to the state, and and certainly for future generations. Um, so, you know, um, anything we can do to keep our air and our waters of the Long Island Sound uh, clean and, and mitigate the impacts of climate change and uh, sea level rise. We, um, I also started the um, Coastal Caucus of the legislature, which I chair uh, with uh, Representative McCarthy Behe uh, of Fairfield. And um, we, um, our purpose is to really address the needs of um, towns, not just the coastal towns, uh, any town that's impacted by a waterway of the state. And it could be anything from, um, you know, mitigating that sea level rise to uh, discussing uh, aquaculture and fishing practices 
practices, uh, anything really pertaining to those waterways. Um, so th that's been a particular focus of mine. I've uh, been working closely with the agricultural community, talk about another, um, you know, those rich roots that we have here in Connecticut. Agricultural history is very important, um, and we want to see new farmers uh, come onto the scene and, and grow and thrive. And uh, we actually, in 2019, passed hemp legislation enabling uh, hemp growing in the state of Connecticut, uh, you know, the potential to generate gross revenues between 38,000 and 150,000 per acre, which uh, is not small. So we've already uh, established uh, close to 140 growing licenses for that and, and over 500 acres across the state. Huge win uh, for the environment. Um, and most recently, uh, actually in this past special session, we just had three environment bills. Uh, so a third of the agenda in the special session, uh, which is a little bit unusual and a terrific win. Uh, we, we just uh, passed a, some Transfer Act legislation, which is a, a change to a decades old bill uh, that was on the books and that you know was good intentioned at the time, but unfortunately uh, over time just, just left buildings abandoned and, and environmental skills never were cleaned up. And so we've moved to a release-based remediation system and, and uh, not only will help our economy uh, grow and, and develop, but also help us environmentally. So we've, we've uh, been able to do that as well as pass an environmental justice bill, uh, which is a direct tie-in with that. So I, I'm really excited with what we've got going on uh, from an environmental perspective. And I hope to get back up there to Hartford uh, to work on some more uh, some more legislation that's important to the state. Uh, Senator Cohen doesn't just talk the talk. She walks the walk or sometimes falls. Uh, there was a video not too long ago. I encourage people to check out your social media handle uh, in which- Trying to embarrass me. Tell me what happened exactly. The video was of uh, Representative Robin Co um, Comey helping you get a boot off. And so much water came out. It seemed like sort of like the clown car where the clowns just keep coming. You're like, this isn't possible. If your leg and foot were in the boot, how was there that much water? So what, you know, what were you guys doing? We were actually cleaning up uh, the Farm River in uh, Bramford. We, uh, I do it every year. I was with uh, Save the Sound. We went out there. You get into the reeds back there, hop out of the boat and uh, pull out all sorts of trash, which is uh, disheartening, but extremely satisfying at the same time to get that trash out of that, uh, those waterways. And so I actually did fall. It was an unusually high tide that day. Uh, got in there, was well above my boots and uh, got in into the muck and, and fell right into the river. Uh, so good laugh, good times. Luckily the fall wasn't on video, but the, uh, the boot emptying was. So thank goodness for Representative Comey coming to the rescue. Hey, she's helping you out. I'm sure you, you help out too. Uh, talk a little bit about working with the representatives that overlap your district and federally with, uh, with Representative DeLauro and the rest of the federal delegation. Yeah, well, I think we have a great working relationship. I'm so lucky um, that uh, we are all very close. We work in concert with one another and really coordinate our efforts. Um, have, uh, you know, Representative Comey on the Education Committee uh, certainly works a lot on the education side of things. Um, and, you know, that's also a passion of mine as a former Board of Ed Education member uh, in Guilford. 
you know, Representative Scanlon, uh, the one and only, uh, you know, running unopposed. Um, and, and that says a lot uh, about his work ethic and his ability to get the job done uh, for the district. I also work uh, wonderfully uh, across the aisle in a bipartisan manner. So I'm happy to report that because, of course, we're not all Democrats <laughs> across the state. And uh, also, you know, as you said, the federal delegation, um, I, I'm so proud of our federal delegation and uh, all they've been fighting for and what they've had to fight against, um, you know, for the benefit of the folks here in Connecticut, especially uh, during the pandemic. You know, there is no doubt that we've had to contend with a lot, not only from a public health perspective, but from an economic perspective and really getting small businesses and people the relief they need during this time uh, financially. And, and as I said, from a health perspective. Um, so I'm so appreciative of them and, and what they uh, go up against every day in order to uh, fight for the people here in Connecticut. Uh, when you vote, take a look on your ballot. If you see Senator Christine Cohen there, that means you live in the 12th district and you are blessed. So thank you very much for coming by today and talking to us. And uh, I'd say see you on the campaign trail, but we won't. No. We won't. Time. <laughs> Maybe you'll hear from me on the phones. So. Hear from me on the phones. All right. Thank you very much for joining us today. Thank you. Appreciate it. Michael Cerulli returns with the second half of his conversation with U.S. Representative Rosa DeLauro. Let's pivot a bit to two important elections that are happening uh, soon. The first one, of course, being the election of uh, president and vice president, and the second election being uh, yours, uh, not just your election for re for to reelect uh, for the third congressional district, but also your uh, race to chair the appropriations committee. Let's start with the Biden campaign. Um, there are three uh, tenets of his platform that you play a central role in: uh, paid family medical leave, as you mentioned before, uh, the child tax credit, and equal pay. Talk about those uh, three aspects of uh, his platform and, and how you'll be fighting, hopefully, with a Biden Harris administration to make those things a reality? Well, I'm very, very excited. I believe uh, uh, Vice President Biden will be president and Kamala Harris will be vice president of the United States. I feel that very, very strongly. And for me, uh, it's, it, 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 I'm particularly excited about it because of the legislation that I have championed uh, over the years, uh, some of which you have mentioned, uh, which I believe uh, will get passed into law. Um, and Look, let me just talk about equal pay for equal work for, for, for women. Uh, you will recall, I go back to the Fair Pay Act with Lily Ledbetter. And when uh, she lost her case at the Supreme Court, at that time, it was Ruth Bader Ginsburg who said to us, to the Congress, the ball is now in your court. And we took action. And uh, I was uh, proud to, uh, uh, you know, to be a lead, uh, sponsor that legislation. That was, you know, myself and George Miller offering that mm -hmm. legislation. Uh, going forward. And as you know, it was the first bill uh, that President Barack Obama signed. Uh, uh, and now uh, it is uh, my hope that and now we have passed um, uh, equal pay for equal work for women three times in the House of Representatives. I've gotten it passed. It's got a very simple premise, Michael. It says men and women in the same job deserve the same pay. Um, and so as I say, it's passed three times. There's been difficulty in the Senate. And in a Republican uh, Senate, but I believe it will be uh, uh, the the first bill uh, that a President Biden will sign into law. In addition to that, uh, paid sick days 
which I introduced in 2007 with uh, Senator Ted Kennedy at the time. Um, and uh, this just says that, if, you know, most people today who work in, in private industry do not have one single page sick day. Wow. Wow. It is unbelievable. That's, and you that's know, crazy. kids get sick, family members get sick, and you mm -hmm. may have to make a choice between your job and your family. That shouldn't be. The legislation is there. It is part of the, of the bills that are now being negotiated, the bill that's being negotiated. But I know where uh, uh, Joe Biden and Kamala Harris are on this issue. They are four square. And, you know, that bill will pass as well. Then I take the child tax credit. The child tax credit deals with um, with poverty. The child, the poverty. We have the highest child poverty rate uh, uh, among all of the, uh, the the richest the richest countries. Our largest policy for children is the child tax credit. But today, it leaves behind a third of all children. You know why? Because their families earn too little to be able to access the child tax credit. We found that if we employed my legislation, not me. I didn't find this. I knew it but it was the National Academy of Sciences at Colum and Columbia University found that if we expanded the child tax credit, my legislation, um, all the, one third of the kids left behind would, 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 would be covered. We go further uh, by extending it to families who have children uh, over six years old. They would get a 3,600, uh, um, over six would get $3,000 in the child tax credit under six they would get a $3,600. That would lift 52% of African-American children and families out of wow. poverty. 41. It, it is groundbreaking. And you said it, that, that policy, uh, the, uh, uh, and I just spoke to the Biden campaign, their policy director, just a couple of days ago, uh, because I trust, but I wanted to verify. I just said that I want to make sure that you are going the distance mm -hmm. on the child tax credit. And I got that assurance that that's where they're going. So paid sick days, paid family and medical leave uh, as, 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 as well. Um, I know I'm going on probably long, but, you know, when I was sick some 30 years ago with ovarian cancer, and I went to my boss at the time with Senator Chris Dodd, and I said, I'm going into the hospital. And I said, I don't know if I'm going to return. Uh, uh, and I've been diagnosed with ovarian cancer. He said to me, Rosie, you just go get yourself well. Don't worry about your job. It's there. Now, I was a Senate staffer. That was great for me. But everyone in this country ought to be able to have paid family and medical leave to deal with the serious of, of medical issues that arise uh, in their lives. And so paid sick days, paid family medical leave, uh, equal pay for equal work for women, a child tax credit, Joe Biden, Kamala Harris are going to put those into law. Absolutely. Absolutely. And you'll be right there with them because as of right now, you are running to be the next chair of the House Appropriations Committee. I think yeah. most of our listeners understand how a president is elected. Most of our listeners understand how a member of Congress is elected. I don't know if they understand. We talked about this a bit with John Larson a few weeks ago. Um, uh -huh. how, how is a chair of a committee, especially one as important as appropriations, how, are, how is that person selected for that job? Sure. Well, uh, the, uh, uh, the selection is by your peers. 
You know, you, you know, you, I run for election. There's an election on November 3rd. Uh, the election for chair of the appropriations committee will be sometime probably late November, early December. So you go to your peers, uh, with, uh, uh, you know, what your record is, like in the same way you go to the electorate and say, Hey, this is what I've been about. This is what I've been doing. This is what I'd like to do. This is the direction that I would like to go in and you build their support uh, one person at a time. What sometimes people don't understand, the appropriations committee is made up of 12 subcommittees that each reflect uh, 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 portions of our economy. There's defense, there's labor, education and health, which I now currently chair. There's agriculture, there's transportation, uh, there's military construction, there is interior, so 12 subcommittees, each of whom has a, 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 a chair uh, chairperson. What I want to do is chair the entire committee, the full committee, uh, because, and this is in the Constitution, it says that, you know, there isn't anything uh, 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 that has more authority than the power of the purse. It is looking at the agenda, where our challenges lie uh, in this country, the job crisis, how do we bring to bear uh, the resources of the federal government on the issue of job crisis, health crisis, what do we do there? Uh, it, it's the funding that goes to our, uh, our states and our cities with regard to transportation. Uh, it's the money that we spend on uh, the National Institutes of Health and looking for cures for diseases. Uh, so across all of those 12 subcommittees, uh, which mirror what our, uh, 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 the, the issues that face this country are, um, uh, uh, we provide the resources for it and make the decisions about what money will be spent in what areas. I, I just look, mental health, what we do with land conservation, what we do with sustainability and what we do with react to, uh, to uh, climate. Uh, uh, but that's the funding for it. All yes. of those issues are before uh, the appropriations uh, uh, committee. Working hard at it, working hard on re-election. Uh, and, uh, but uh, you know, it's, it really has enormous power in addressing the uh, the issues that we face today. Can I just say one one more point here? Sure, sure. I found I wrote a book um, a few years ago. It's called "The Least Among Us: Waging the Battle for the Vulnerable." And I did a lot of research on the social safety net, Medicare, Medicaid, Social Security, um, food stamp programs, child tax credit, uh, all the hunger programs, uh, etc. And you know what I found? I found that the social safety net was crafted by both Democrats and Republicans. Mm -hmm. Men and women who understood that the country was facing a challenge. And from whatever your political perspective, your ideological perspective was, that you came together to address Mm -hmm. the issue and you supported it and people and which is the way we should be governing exactly. you cannot govern from the fringes you need to govern so that you can move forward 
Uh, lots of big issues today. I mentioned the environment. Uh, I mentioned the jobs uh, issue, uh, the hunger issue, which we face uh, uh, today, all of the health care issues uh, that are out there, uh, that this committee addresses all of that. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's what I would like to do. Yeah, and we, we certainly hope, as I said to We've had uh, a few of your colleagues on this podcast so far, and we've we've discussed it with them extensively about how uh, we're all pulling for you to be the next chair. Um, you mentioned their healthcare and Medicare. Uh, you introduced a plan last year, which I think, uh, and this debate among our party about how to get to universal health care, I think your plan, the Medicare for America plan, was among the best proposals, if not the best proposal. Um, and as a delegate to the convention uh, this past summer, I was proud to vote in favor of a platform that said that we are the party of universal health care. So talk mm-hmm. a bit about your plan yeah. to get health care coverage for every single American and how it contrasts with plans like Medicare for all or the public option plan. Let me ask you a question. Just let me ask you a question for a second. How was the, um, the convention? Oh, it was, uh, it was an outstanding yeah. experience. Um, mm-hmm. As a college student, um, I probably wouldn't have been able to take a week off and, uh, uh, you know, the beginning of the school year to go to Milwaukee. So actually it being virtual was actually a really good experience uh, for my first convention. I was one of the youngest delegates there. Uh, Were you? Actually, yeah, yeah mm-hmm. uh, I actually voted uh, for, you know, this will be my first presidential election I'm eligible to vote in. So it's cool to get to cast a ballot at a convention before I've ever even voted for a president. Um, and as I said, to, I've joked with some friends, <laughs> I'll be casting uh, three votes for Joe Biden this year uh, instead of the normal two. So um, yeah, it was, it was great. I really enjoyed it. I thought it was a very accessible platform. Um, one thing I noticed was that, you know, at all of our events, there were people like me who are younger, who are people of color, uh, as delegates, you know, working parents as delegates this this year, um, mm-hmm. I thought that the virtual format really helped make it an accessible convention because we should be, you know, we're the party of, you know, the big tent and diversity and, you know, mm-hmm. our delegates should reflect that. And I really felt mm-hmm. like we did reflect that uh, this year. So I mm-hmm. loved it. Uh, That's I was, great. I was proud to vote for the platform. Yeah, good for you. That really is, it's a wonderful experience. It was um, uh, for the uh, the uh, uh, Kerry race, the John, John Kerry race, I chaired the platform committee, uh, oh, wow. which was a wonderful, wonderful experience for me. You know, mm-hmm. first time I had done that, which was great. And coming to consensus, and it was really, really first first rate experience. So, uh, Medicare for America, uh, what 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 would it do? It is a it would provide universal, affordable, high quality health coverage to all Americans. Who's covered? We enroll the uninsured, those who purchase uh, their health care on the individual market, those who currently are on Medicare, Medicaid, and the Children's Health Insurance Program. Large employers uh, could continue to provide employer-sponsored care, but they have to make it gold-level coverage. Or what they can do is you give a choice uh, to the individual, can direct the contribution, the, the, your employer would direct the contribution towards the employee's Medicare for America premiums. And so employees have the option to choose Medicare for America uh, over an employer-sponsored coverage. But we do not eliminate the employer-sponsored coverage. There are some 165 million Americans mm-hmm. uh, who get their coverage that way. Uh, so, but it is about being able to uh, uh, deal with a choice. Now, what does it cover? 
recover. The benefits are so improved and expanded. Uh, we improve on both Medicare and Medicaid benefits, covers prescription drugs, dental, vision, hearing services. So it's like, uh, unlike Medicaid, it's not your zip code that determines right, where right. your healthcare comes from, what your benefits are. It comprehensively covers for the first time long-term uh, 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 services, supports those Americans who are living with disabilities and seniors, um, and at this time, both neither Medicare nor private insurance cover at the moment. What does it cost? The premiums would be no more than 8% of the individual's or the household's monthly income. Uh, and there are no deductibles. Uh, there are subsidies. Those people who are below 200% will no, uh, no longer have a premium or cost sharing. Um, uh, maximum out-of-pocket costs. I think this is important. Uh, this includes seniors and a, a current Medicare beneficiary. $3,500 uh, for an individual, $5,000 for families. It's a sliding scale uh, between 200-600% of poverty. Uh, so, um, uh, I'm very, very excited uh, about it and uh, uh, how, how we pay for, pay for it is, I'm sure that's on people's mind. We would mm -hmm. sunset the Republican uh, tax bill uh, it, uh, and, and impose a 5% surtax uh, on adjusted gross income uh, for people who are making over $500,000 a year. We, um, uh, uh, we, we deal with uh, uh, maintenance of effort from states with regard to Medicaid. Uh, we deal with... Uh, 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 what we call the, you know, the excise taxes right, on tobacco right. products, beer, wine, liquor, and sugar-sweetened beverages. So we have laid out a plan in terms of looking at not only the expansive coverage, the inclusive coverage and mm -hmm. making universal, but also how we pay for it. You know what I think is very interesting is that uh, despite differences between Medicare for America and Medicare for all, there really is a debate and a conversation, which is part of our center of our public discourse today. Exactly. Talking about universal health care. Never the case in the past, in the yeah. past 10 years. So a real move forward. Yeah, it's certainly not the case inside the Republican Party. Um, they just, uh, the, they're waiting around they've for never, that. They've never made a proposal. Yeah. Well, you know, the, 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 they have been saying that there's going to be one coming uh, in eight weeks for the past two years. They've been saying that, right? Yeah. <laughs> uh, and look, I, 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 you know, I think we have to mention it. Rushing for a Supreme Court nominee. Mm -hmm. you, you know, I mean, maybe your, your, your followers, uh, they probably do uh, understand this. The oral argument on the court case that would dismantle the Affordable Care Act begin on November 10th. Yeah. That is the reason why there is a rush uh, to select a, uh, uh, a Supreme Court justice. That's no reason to do this. And I'm not challenging the credentials. Of, I'm, I'm not, I, there, is, there, is, there is no, there's no reason to rush, except right. because the president has tweeted that he wants to overturn yep. the Affordable Care Act. And he also wants to overturn Roe v. Wade. Exactly. Uh, and it, it, those two issues he seems to uh, have found in his nominee. 
Yeah, it's it's really striking how interconnected all those issues are. Um, before we go, I do want to give you an opportunity to talk to particularly our younger viewers, my age, my peers in college, who want to help get you back to Congress. Um, we only have like 20 days until election day as the time we record this, but that's still 20 days worth of volunteering and phone banking and door knocking that folks could do. So uh, how do folks get involved with your campaign? Where do you need the most help? And uh, what are you looking to do over the next 20 days? Mm-hmm. Well, listen, you know, it is. And I usually go by a rule of thumb that my, uh, my one-time employer, Chris Dodd, said, you don't count the day you're in and you don't count election day. So you've got 18 days in which to make all of this happen. Mm-hmm. But I would, I, I, I would, uh, you know, I would just say this. If folks, you know, want to, uh, uh, you know, want to help me, um, uh, we have a campaign headquarters uh, on Church Street in downtown New Haven. Uh, and we'll get you the phone number. Uh, for, for that. Uh, and, and, uh, please call, volunteer. We need people for phone banks. And you can call because of COVID and people wanting to be safe, um, uh, that, um, uh, 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 that you can call from your home, uh, and, uh, and therefore they can participate, uh, in, in that way. Um, we need, uh, a whole lot of, uh, uh, we're getting, uh, uh, literature distributed. Um, and, uh, uh, you, you know, to folks. Uh, but it is the voter contact that is extremely important in any way uh, that because I, I want to give you the phone number where they can call the woman who heads my campaign. Her name is Sarah, uh, Sarah Locke, L-O-C-K-E. And the phone number is 203-497-8034. Okay. Call uh, and be in touch because uh, we would love to help you. But I would just say this to all of you. Be engaged, be involved. This is, a, this is an election that is about you. Mm-hmm. It is about young people. We are looking at today the biggest crisis that we have in healthcare and in our economy. We need to be looking at the, how fragile our democracy is and the people who would try to dismantle our democracy. The rule of law is under attack. We're looking at our voter suppression. When you want to put one absentee ballot drop box in Houston, Texas. Ridiculous. It is unbelievable. So please, this is about your future. It's about all of our futures. And you can make a difference. We need your help. We need to help you. We need to help you. You care about the high cost of education and student debt and how you can deal with that. You care about the environment. You care about what direction we go in and you know what Democrats have been about on that issue and not rolling back uh, all of the requirements we, we put into place. You care about the rule of law. You care about what happens to people who have uh, fallen on hard times. So I implore you to please Get engaged, get involved. You all have local campaigns that you can engage in. Exactly. Love to have your help in my campaign. Thank you. Well, Dave, I tried to match Rosa's outstanding energy and passion for the issues. I don't know if I was able to do it. Maybe the listeners could uh, weigh in on social media and let me know. Um, but other than that, two weeks until Election Day, I'm really excited. Maybe not as excited as Rosa is, but tell the folks again how they can get involved over these next two weeks. Well, many, many have tried and few have equaled Rosa's energy, but we need your energy in the race. It's ctdems.org slash volunteer. 
to volunteer, or you can look up the candidates on our website as well, ctdems.org, search out 2020 candidates, and there's links to all of their websites, all their social media. You can get involved right in your neighborhood. They're door knocking, they're making calls. There may be a DTC headquarters in your neighborhood. Who knows, but get there and, and it's all hands on deck from here on out. And we'll see you next week on the next episode of Democrats to CT Democrats podcast. Mm-hmm.